Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, the hour is late, but give me a few minutes of your attention as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the Lord's table. Hebrews, that book of the Bible that we call Hebrews, is more focused and lifts up Jesus Christ higher than any other single book. You may like Romans for its doctrine of defending justification by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You may love other books of the Bible, but there's one book that has a preeminent theme of lifting up Jesus Christ. It's the book of Hebrews. From beginning to end, the whole book is designed to set up Jesus Christ as being superior to anything that a Jew could claim from the Old Testament. So its whole purpose is one, to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you end such a book? Here's how he ended. Our brother Paul. There's no question about who wrote this book. They can write volumes about it. It can be proven ten different ways. Our brother Paul wrote this epistle. Verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Let me take it phrase by phrase and comfort your souls with it and delight in what it has to say to us. At the end of a book about the preeminent glory of Jesus Christ, this is how Paul closes out. Now the God of peace. He is not always the God of peace. The Bible tells me in Psalm 7 and verse 11, God is angry with the wicked every day. When I read about the flood... When God drowned and suffocated every man, woman, and child of any age, I see a God that is angry against sin. But here he's called the God of peace. The Jews knew him as the God of glory. The God of hope. These are names from the Bible. The God of judgment. The God of hosts. Of knowledge. The God of heaven. The God of Israel. The God of all the earth. The God of my righteousness, the God of my salvation, the God of truth, the God of mercy, the God of gods. But here he's the God of peace. You know why he's the God of peace? Because he brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus that made peace between us and God. If it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ, he is angry with the wicked every day. There is no peace with God outside the Lord Jesus Christ. The God of peace. The Hebrews knew the terrible God of judgment. The Hebrews knew what God had done to Egypt. The Hebrews knew what God had done to the Philistines. The Hebrews knew what God had done to seven extinct nations of Canaan. The Hebrews knew what God had done to them, his own children, when they had disobeyed. But here Paul says, now the God of peace. Praise the Lord. That brought again from the dead... Our Lord Jesus. 
Our God in heaven, our Father sent His Son Jesus Christ into the world who laid down His life for us and willingly suffered death for us to be saved from the power of death that we could live forever with Him in heaven. But if He hadn't been raised from the dead, then death would have still had dominion over Him. But God raised Him from the dead. Acts 13.30 has those words in it by themselves. But God raised Him from the dead. Paul was preaching in Antioch of Pisidia, and he lays out the hope of Israel. And he tells them about Jesus of Nazareth, how that he was crucified and laid in the ground. But God raised him from the dead. A chief aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ is God raised him from the dead. And we can never forget that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fundamental of our faith. If you want to call me a fundamentalist for making that a fundamental, then so be it. But it is a chief aspect of the gospel of Christ. God raised him from the dead. Not only is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh, but it also says he was justified in the spirit. Because it's the spirit of the living God that raised him up and showed him to be the son of God. When our Lord Jesus Christ appeared to John in the Isle of Patmos where he was banished for the word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ, Jesus said to him, I was dead. But I am alive forevermore. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is alive forevermore because God raised him from the dead. Because he lives, we shall live with him. He is the first fruits of them that slept. Praise the Lord. If he's the first fruits, then we're the after fruits. And we're going to be following him to heaven because that's where he is. And we're going to go to be with him. Not only is the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, he is sitting at God's right hand making intercession for us every day. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Three times the Apostle Paul would say that there is something more important than the death of Christ. And that's the fact that he's alive in heaven interceding for us. He says in Romans 5 and Romans 8 and Hebrews 7, Yea, rather... Comparing the death of Christ to his ascension into heaven. Yea, rather, who is in heaven and maketh intercession for us. That's where our Savior is. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. That great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus Christ was the one commissioned by God and charged with the work of gathering together all the children of God and paying the price for their sins and uniting them together in one body and bringing them safely to heaven. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. There may be little tiny, flawed, weak, under-shepherds, but the Lord Jesus Christ is the shepherd of our souls. He is the one that saves us. Listen to a few words of prophecy out of the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 24 and verse 23. And your tires shall be upon your heads. That doesn't look like the right verse. Let's try chapter 37. Ezekiel was full of prophecies about Jesus Christ along with Isaiah and Jeremiah. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, 
wherein your fathers have dwelt and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. And that's the covenant of peace by David, his servant. Now, this is Ezekiel writing several hundred years after David had died. But he's referring to someone by the name of David who would be the shepherd over God's people. And it's the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. We learn that by comparing Scripture with Scripture. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. He was such a great shepherd in John chapter 10, he would say about himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The good shepherd did not say, I give my life for the goats. The good shepherd didn't say, I give my life to change goats to sheep. The good shepherd said, I give my life for the sheep. And I know my sheep and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Not one of Jesus' sheep shall ever perish. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That's all found in John chapter 10. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. He was assigned to be our shepherd. That our souls would not be lost. No matter how far we try to run. No matter how much false damage or damage and false doctrine false teachers may do in our lives the lord jesus christ is the great shepherd of the sheep and he said i will lose none of them john 6:38 and 39 jesus said that all those the father gave him to save he would not lose a single one of them his words in hebrews 2 when he stands before god and you know their favorite words of mine We will all stand there in a great assembly around him, and he will address the Father and say, Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. There are the elect children of God that the great shepherd of the sheep saved with an everlasting salvation to lose none of them. He is the great shepherd. Thankfully, thankfully, there was to be a fold for the sheep bigger than Israel. If the fold of God's sheep was only the size of Israel, we're cut out because we're not descendants of Abraham. And so in John chapter 10 and verse 16, Jesus says this. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. The middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentiles was broken down by the blood of Jesus Christ's cross. And he has gathered together in one both Jew and Gentile, barbarian and Scythian, Greek and fools for the glory of God. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood, there is no salvation without the shedding of blood because the shedding of blood is an emblem. It is a part and it is a proof of death. There was no magical value in the blood of Christ except as an emblem, a part, and a proof of the death of Jesus. It's because his blood ran out of his body that his flesh gave up the spirit and it returned to God that had made it. 
His body died, but there was blood to be required from the very beginning. In the very beginning, our first two parents tried to cover their guilt and shame with a few aprons, two aprons made of fig leaves. Our God clothed them with coats made from the skins of animals, which took the shedding of blood. There was more blood shed after Moses than can be imagined or counted up. Countless numbers of beasts were sacrificed every day in order for their blood to be shed, burned. It smelled around that tabernacle. It smelled in that temple of burning flesh and blood. Because blood was necessary as a proof that life had been given for the covering of sins. And even though all that blood was shed, it was merely the blood of bulls and of goats that can never put away sin. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, having shed his own blood, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9.22 tells us, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 9.12 tells us that Jesus took his own blood into the heavenly place in heaven and presented it to God, and it was accepted by God. Jesus does not offer his blood to any man. Jesus offered his blood without spot to God, and God accepted it, and that made us acceptable in the Beloved. Ephesians 1, 6 tells us it's not us accepting the beloved. It's not us accepting God. It's God accepting us in the beloved. Because we've been put in the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep. God accepts each one of the sheep through Christ who laid himself down for us. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Through the blood. It was the blood of his cross that reconciled us to God and made peace. Now my favorite words. Ah, I don't want to say that. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. I thank God that in his mercy... When I was about 19 years of age, he showed me the everlasting covenant. I didn't know about the everlasting covenant that God had made with Jesus Christ before the world began to save all of his sheep from their sins. But here it is. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant is everlasting in its origin, in its everlasting, in its duration. It's from eternity to eternity. It was made before time in the Godhead itself when the decrees were established that God himself would come and take up human flesh in the person of the word being made flesh which is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the God-man, the only mediator between God and men. And he would lay down his life for all those that had been given to him by God the Father in election, their names having been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. God decreed it to be done. God the Word agreed to do it and take up flesh. And by covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep and shed his blood for the redemption of our souls. We were chosen in him before the world began because it's all of a covenant. Earthly fathers, earthly fathers 
promise particular things or everything they own to their children. But those things do not transfer until the death of the testator. It's called the last will and testament of a man. The last will and testament of God is this. He promised eternal life before the world began. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. God has never offered eternal life. He promised eternal life before the world began. And he charged Jesus Christ with the work of making it effectual for his people. And Jesus said he wouldn't lose one of them that God had charged him to save. And he said, these are all the children that you have given me. This is the everlasting covenant made before the world began with specific beneficiaries, just like every other will. You go down to the courthouse and write out a piece of paper. Not a single one of your descendants may even know you did it. But there is a legal document in place that says upon your death, these goods, this estate, will transfer from your possession to their possession. And so it tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, That by means of death, the New Testament went into force because God, through Jesus Christ, died to put his will and testament into force. God had made a promise of eternal life to his elect. Jesus Christ came and died to death to put that last will and testament into force, and thereby we are saved. Then we hear the news that we have a will that was written for us, and we are beneficiaries of it, and we rejoice in it. Just like a human will, except the benefits given, the estate transferred is so much greater. The inheritance is eternal heaven. And we were predestinated to that. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. We were predestinated to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. That's one of the benefits. Not bad, huh? That God's going to adopt you as his son. And how's he going to put it into force? Because the testator is going to die. Who is the testator? The one that wrote the testament, God himself. How did God die when he is an immortal spirit? He died through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now let me talk to you plainly about the everlasting covenant. I know a man in Christ. I know a man in Christ who was guilty of aggravated adultery and murder. I know a man in Christ who had the blood of 70,000 men of Israel on his hands. I know a man in Christ who had the blood of Uzzah on his hands for not following God's due order and moving the Ark of the Covenant. I know a man in Christ who was not the father that he should have been. And I know that man in Christ, what he said when he was on his deathbed. How does a man who is guilty of adultery and aggravated murder, the blood of 70,000, the blood of Uzzah, and a dysfunctional family meet God? Turn to some precious verses. Holding your hand at Hebrews 13 Turn back to 2 Samuel chapter 23 and see if we can't delight in the Lord's Supper today. How does such a man prepare to die to meet God? How? How? I'm so thankful 
as Elihu said in Job 33, that if there might be a man among a thousand to tell man who's languishing on his deathbed that he has found a ransom, you are blessed indeed. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Second Samuel 23. Now these be the last words of David. This is how a man guilty of aggravated adultery, murder, the blood of 70,000 men, the blood of Uriah, the blood of Uzzah, and being a foolish father. These are his words when he's preparing to meet God. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds. As the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. By inspiration, God told David what a proper ruler of his people would look like. And so we add to David's guilt on his deathbed because David was not a ruler like this. And so these are David's words after God inspiring him to think of what a true ruler ought to be like. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. It is limited to those that God chose in Jesus Christ. It did not extend to all that David might have desired, but it extended to David. And that was all his salvation and all his desire. It was ordered in all things and sure. And although his house was not so with God, like the inspired words of verses 3 and 4, God had made with him an everlasting covenant. I tell you about the everlasting covenant. The Bible tells me that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you will listen to the words I'm telling you right now, and if God will give me the grace, I will help you die the death of David, the death of the righteous, because we will put our trust in the everlasting covenant of God. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. That is our salvation. So much more could be said about it. Let me, let me give you a word picture about it. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. Do you know what the temple of God looks like in heaven? Just keep listening to me. One verse, one little word picture from the book of Revelation. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. 
because it was one fantastic testament that was in that ark. And it wasn't the Old Testament. We're reading from the book of Revelation. It's the New Testament. And when that New Testament is taken out of the hand of God and the seals are ripped off it by the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one in heaven or earth who is able to rip those seals off, every choir in heaven breaks out into singing that worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant to receive blessing and glory and honor and power and riches and wisdom forever and ever and ever. Amen. The poor Israelites, poor David, he knew better because God made him a prophet. But most of those Israelites, they offered all that animal blood that could never take away sins. We of the New Testament remember the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who took away all our sins. But verse 21 tells us that there's something we ought to be praying for and seeking to do with our lives that have been saved by the great shepherd of the sheep. Verse 21 says, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Is the Lord Jesus Christ able to do that? Make you perfect in every good work to do his will? Philippians chapter 2 tells me, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Does that sound like his will? Does it sound like every good work? Praise the Lord. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus on two good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The great shepherd of the sheep not only saved us legally, he's coming after us and saved us vitally, and he's coming after us practically by the power of the Holy Spirit and through his word to perfect that which is lacking in our lives when we humble ourselves to him and seek his face. We are not fatalists, but neither are we antinomians. And don't even worry about what those words mean. Just realize that God expects us, saved by the blood of our Redeemer, to spend our lives in obedience to his will for us. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will. That was Paul's prayer for the Hebrews. It ought to be our prayer for this church and for our own souls. God did not save you to live any which way you choose. God saved you to live the way he's already chosen for us to live. Epaphras, Epaphras prayed this for the Colossian saints, that God would work in them till they stood perfect and complete in all the will of God. Colossians chapter 4. Let us beg God to make us know what we should know. Let us beg God to make us do what we should do. Because it says here in verse 21, make you perfect in every good work to do his will. Working in you. That which is well-pleasing in his sight. If God's worked it in us, like I've already quoted from Philippians 2, then it is our duty with fear and trembling to work it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Do you know that you can be well-pleasing to God? His standard is not too high. The Bible says his commandments are not grievous. The Bible says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, you are able. Through Jesus Christ, because it's by the power and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was tempted in all points like as we were yet without sin, who is able to succor or to help them that are tempted. 
Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 2 tell us both of those things. Through Jesus Christ, not only has he saved us legally, he is our strength practically. The Apostle Paul would say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Take his grace, take his strength, and make something of it by being diligent and faithful in what God's done for you. The Apostle Paul said, I labored more abundantly than they all. And he wasn't talking about sluggards. He was talking about the other apostles. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. I am what I am by the grace of God, Paul said. But I'll tell you what Paul was. He was one diligent and zealous follower of Jesus Christ. And he said, whether present or absent, whether on earth or with God in heaven, we labor to be approved of him. And that's what we should be doing as well because of what he's done for us. It says through Jesus Christ. Then it says, to whom be glory forever and ever. Jesus Christ should get all the glory for our lives. He should be the center of this church's attention. He should be the object of this church's affection. He should be the reason for this church's obedience. He should be the object that you seek when you open the pages of the Bible. He should be the one you care about walking with more than anyone else on earth. He should be the object of your praying that God would reveal him more and more to you until you are able to comprehend with all great saints the full dimensions of the love of Christ until you are filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians three fourteen through 19. To whom be glory forever and ever. Paul would say, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul would say, I determine not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. To God be the glory. I think someone closes out emails sometimes that way. Or all glory to God. To Jesus Christ be the glory. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. Brethren, God gave us examples in the Bible and told us all of their dirty deeds. Or some of their dirty deeds. We have David and we wonder how on his deathbed he could face God. And he knew that he had killed Uriah. Indirectly he had killed Uzzah. He was the cause of 70,000 men of Israel dying. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba though he had a harem of women. And God would have given him any one more woman or any number of women instead of another man's wife. He knew that he had not been a good father. And he knew that he had not ruled with the justice and pure reign that the Spirit inspired in him there in Second Samuel 23. Now, can you relate to that man at all? Yeah. I knew a man in Christ named David, and God the Holy Spirit recorded him for me and for you. Yeah. Can you relate to him? How do we make peace with God? Here's how. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood, of the everlasting covenant. Yes. Yes. To him be glory forever and ever. I know what it says in verse 21. I want you to keep the thought connected. To him be glory forever and ever. Do you know how he wants to be glorified? He wanted you to assemble today. He wanted you to sing his praise today. He wanted us to have our faith increased by his word today. 
He wants us to encourage and provoke one another today. He wants us to sit at his table and remember his death till he comes. Let's glorify him the way he has chosen. We do the Lord's Supper by faith. We do not look for feelings. The religion of Jesus Christ is not a religion of feelings. It's a religion of faith. We start with faith, and then God gives feelings from there. If you start with feelings, as the whole world is in this generation, you end up without faith or without true doctrine. We want to establish our faith on the doctrine of Scripture, and that's the everlasting covenant of grace. And if you don't get feelings from that, you've got the spiritual problem. Because of the covenant of grace, the everlasting covenant, the blood of the everlasting covenant, if that doesn't give you something to joy about and be thankful for, you have a problem. I'm sorry that I'm not a better speaker. Because if I was a better speaker, I would so persuade your heart and soul to be altogether like my brother in Christ, David. But I do the best I can, and I ask God the Holy Spirit to make up the great difference and cover the great chasm between your understanding and my elocution. But hear the words. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, God.